Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Uh, my name is Ron Young. I'm one of the ruling elders here at Jacobswell Church, and it's been uh, one of those great things that um, when Pastor Dan doesn't feel like preaching, uh, you know, I'm just kidding. Uh, there, are t- there are certain times when the pastors seem to be unavailable, uh, you know, presbytery the day before, what, what have you, and, uh, and then I draw the short straw and I get to preach. Actually, I really look forward to it. I enjoy it. Um, I, f- I find it a great privilege to be able to, to share with you. Um, we are looking at uh, Second Tim- or First Timothy. Uh, we're beginning chapter two. One of the things that was really neat as I was studying it is how many commentaries or different people, when they outline it, talk about this section as uh, the beginning of a section called uh, forming a gospel-shaped culture, a gospel-shaped church. And as we're looking at the, uh, the blueprint of a church, our, our series here, uh, it's kind of neat that we're talking now about, well, what's, we're, we're going to see some of the outlines of the church in it being gospel-shaped, gospel-shaped. So before I start, I want to throw a picture up here. Ta-da! How many know who that is? Anybody? A few of you? All right. So my, my, my kids like to tease me about this because I seem to say it a lot, I guess. But I, that's Christian Okoye, the Nigerian nightmare, all, all pro tailback for the Chiefs back in the day. I blocked for him in college. And uh, that guy is six foot two. He was 265 pounds when he was in college and ran. His top speed that he got clocked at was 438. 438. Um, I think when he did the NFL Combine, he had a little bit of an injury and ran a 4.45. He'd be the second fastest guy on the uh, offensive Green Bay Packers if he were playing today. Um, kind of, kind of cool. Well, in college, we uh, uh, it was great to have him. It just meant we won. Right? He'd hand him the ball and he'd he'd make a touchdown, e- easy. But People figured out, and they figured this out in the pros, that if you can get your hands on him behind the line of scrimmage, especially defensive players, uh, it would slow him down enough to have the other guys kind of, kind of tackle him. And, and our, off, our football our coach in college had this great idea. We have this big, huge, powerful guy. If we could just get him out on the flat, out on the edge, and not have to worry about all the linemen in the front middle, um, and, and, and just toss him the ball, he could just fly down, it would be unstoppable. And so uh, they tried this in the pros. His first year, he had 24 receptions. And then after that, I think the most they ever threw the ball to him was like, you know, five times. It, it just didn't work. In college, my coach kept trying and trying and trying to get Christian Okoye to catch the ball on the flat. And, and uh, in practice, he'd get to the point where he could kind of do it. But as soon as the pads were on, 
and we were, we were going to, to, to do it, he'd, he'd drop and fumble all the time. So he had our, our, our All-American tight end, Kimball Chase, work with him every day, every day at practice, 100 catches, and Kimball's thing would be he would catch the ball and watch the ball all the way into his thing. He'd do 50 on the left and 50 on the right, and he kept teaching Christian right, to, to do this. And our coach would, would, would tell him, look, the goal of this is so that he can get touchdowns, right? That's the goal. We want you to get touchdowns. But in order to get touchdowns, you actually have to catch the ball. And to catch the ball, the most important thing is you have to keep your eye on the ball. And so he would continually say in practice, and this is maybe it's because the Chiefs are playing today or something in the playoffs, that this, this thing came to my mind, our, our coach, Milhan, always saying to him, Christian, what's the number one thing? Uh, keep my eye on the ball, coach. What's the number one thing? Keep the eye on my, right? What's the number one thing? And then we'd get out in the game, he'd not watch the ball and he'd, he'd mess it up. This is the, this, because today, the, the, the passage uh, today that we're gonna be, I'll be reading here in a second, starts off, first of all, and, and usually when you see a first of all, you think that there's going to be a second and a third and a fourth, like a list. There's no list. In other words, when he's talking about first of all, he's talking about what is the important thing? What's of utmost importance? The first of all, what is the most important, of first importance? Let's read the scripture and then I'll pray and I'll, I'll get started. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, was the, for this was, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Let's pray. Father, we read your word, and as you inspired the Apostle Paul to write this, we, we take note that he says, first of all, that this is of utmost importance. So I pray, God, that you would help us to discern um, what you're trying to teach us, that we might be obedient, that we too might learn to pray uh, for all people and to know why we do that, to pray even for kings and those in high positions. Um, God, it is uh, important that your word says this. And so, Lord, I ask that you make it important in our lives too. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 
First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. So that's, that's the important thing. So if Timothy is to build the church in Ephesus to, to train elders to continue to spread uh, the kingdom of God throughout uh, Asia, the first thing of first importance as I was Paul, what's the most important thing? What's the most important thing? It's to pray, to make all types of prayer for all kinds of people in all places. Let me repeat that. All types of prayer made for all kinds of people in all places. He starts off with a list then. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be for all people. And, and part of this is that he's, he's just... He's just throwing on a list of, of words that are about prayer. And, and I don't think he's met, saying that only these specific prayers are the things that you should be doing. I think most commentaries I read kind of say, this is his way of saying like you, all your prayers, like all types of prayers need to be made. But for who? For all people. So let's talk about what these prayers in particular he did say. I just, I do think it's important. Supplication, um, it indicates an appeal for a particular need, right? So, uh, so we, you know, in our community group, uh, we, we'll get together and we talk about our needs and someone might have a specific need. Oh, I, I need, uh, you know, I need someone to be able to fix my truck, you know, tomorrow or something to that effect. And so when we, we start praying, there's this need, we lift this up before God and say, God, are you aware of this need? Please take care of it, please, for us. Right? So that's, a, that's what a supplication is. It's taking a, a specific need and bringing it up before God. Uh, the word here for prayers is a general word for prayer that, that, that often talks about um, you know, petitions, like just particular things. Lord, you know, be with the people in China that are suffering or be with Right, you, it's not very specific, but it's but it's very it's general. Um, but those things should be prayed too, because here's the the truth: if if we looked at a lot of the the scripture passages about prayer, I think one of the most important ones is that we understand that when we're praying, we're not doing it on our own. Right, God has given us His Holy Spirit that intercedes for us. Right, so. So we have one mediator, this scripture talks about, between God and us, and that's Jesus. And when we pray, the spirit of Jesus, his Holy Spirit is in us, and whatever we're praying translates to him in the way it ought to be said, right? So I have prayed some really dumb prayers in my life, like really, really dumb prayers, and it's okay. And you might be going, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to do any of this stuff. But the, the, the truth is, is that the Holy Spirit that's within you is going to take your prayer and communicate it to the Father in a way that's good. So I always, always, always encourage you to pray in however way you can trusting that God is going to listen, right? How many of you have ever had a child ask you for stupid things? 
Or they have even really good things they want to ask you, they just don't know how to do it very well, right? We all, it, it's the same way. We have a, a heavenly father who will receive our prayers. Jesus said, you know, if you who are a sinful father or dad um, will give good gifts to your kids, how much more will I? Or he says, if, you're, if your son asks you for a loaf of bread, you're not going to give him a stone, right? How much more is God going to answer, our Heavenly Father, answer our prayers? Prayer is just this general way of praying things in a way that you might not know the specifics of it, and it's okay. Intercessions, the next one has the idea of urgent and bold request. This bad thing is happening right now. It's, or if, we don't, if nothing happens, it's this horrible thing's coming up and we're just urgently going to God, God, please. My, my favorite uh, story in, this, in Scripture about this is when Abraham hears that God's going to go look at Sodom and Gomorrah and see if what he's heard about it is really true. And if it is, he's going to wipe it all out. And Abraham won't let him leave. He stands in front of him and says, hey, uh, you're going to wipe them all out? What about the righteous people? What if there's 50 righteous people? Well, surely, what if there's only 40, you know, and he gets them all the way down to 10? Would you spare? This is intercession. He knows how wicked Sodom and Gomorrah is. He knows how wicked all of them. He knows they have no chance. He's going to intercede. He's going to ask. In the end, all four of the five cities of the plain were wiped out, but God still spared an entire city for the sake of Lot, Zoar. Just God's good. The last is thanksgiving. It's an expression of gratitude for the things that God has done for you and for his mercies. Our catechism, if you, Westminster Shorter Catechism, talks about prayer in this general sense. It says, the question 98 is, what is prayer? In Westminster Confession of Faith, the, the Shorter Catechism says, prayer is an offering of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sin and thankful acknowledgement for his mercy. That's a good statement. Those kinds of prayer, the prayers, our desires that are in accordance with his will, that's what we're lifting to God in any of these forms. And the Apostle Paul says we're to do this for all people. If I were to be blunt about this, I would say that most of my prayers are selfish. Most of the time when I'm praying, I'm praying about my concerns, which is fine, by the way. That's, that's not sinning. Praying for your concerns, praying for your needs. God would like you to do that. God would love for you to come before him and tell, you, tell him what he needs. But what Paul is saying here of utmost importance, of, 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 of the first importance, is that we're praying, but we're praying these things for all people. I guess you are included in all people, right? But often when I come to prayer, I'm thinking of my needs. I'm thinking of my family's needs. I'm not thinking as much as the needs of everyone, and this is convicting to me. Of first importance, we're making these prayers for all people. How do we pray for all people? What, how do we get this in our, 
How does that become the desire of my heart? Well, part of it might be that I'm not, we're not clear exactly what Paul's getting at, and, and the rest of the verse is going to help. So he starts off by talking about a particular kind of people you should pray for, and that is the kings, for kings and all in high uh, position. He says, the end of verse 1, he says to pray for all people, but then he goes on in, in verse 2, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. I will say what's interesting about these, this passage is that I, on first glance, when I first read it, I, I have had a tendency to skip past this as if it wasn't all that important. But, but the reason he's saying this is there's two different kinds of, of issues that can disturb a church or mess up a church. One is that you have uh, problems that come to you from the outside and the other is problems that come from within. The reason they're going to pray for the kings and those in authority is, is they can really mess up your, your church. In, in Paul's day, in Paul's day, uh, the emperor Nero was the, was the emperor. Uh, and he, he did not like Christians. He spent a lot of time uh, blaming them for bad things and then doing horrible things to the church. And, and persecutions happened all over the place, including in Ephesus, uh, where Timothy is. The governors, the kings, those in high authorities, if you have one in there that doesn't like the church, it could be a big problem. If you have others who just leave you alone, it, it's not bad. So he says here, we're praying to the, uh, for those kings. I'm going to add one other little kind of subtle thing, which is kind of cool. Um, after Julius Caesar was uh, murdered, they deified him and made him a god. And the Roman people began to pray to seize Julius Caesar, who was dead. His great nephew who adopted him, Augustus, which is a divine name, by the way, um, also began to be uh, called the son of a god. And in his lifetime, people began praying to him. Although it didn't happen within Rome, it only happened in the provinces outside. But after Caesar Augustus, this imperial cult happened where the, the emperor of Rome was to be worshipped. And, and this is a remarkably, I would imagine that if in the wrong hands, the letter of 1 Timothy would get Paul in big trouble. We're not to pray to kings or to pe people, human beings. We only pray to God. There's only one God. And so he says we pray, but we don't pray to kings, we pray for them. And many times we can see the testimonies of martyrs, and they're going to get killed because they're not praying to the Caesar. And they'll admit to them that, yeah, we don't pray to him, but we pray for him diligently. That wasn't enough for the Romans. So he says, pray for kings and all those in high that we might leave, and he goes, a peaceful and quiet life. So the, the Greek word uh, aromas, which is uh, peace, this idea of peaceful, that idea has to be, means kind of being left alone so your tranquility is not being disturbed from the outside. Okay? So that's that one idea. If we, we're going to pray for the kings so that they're not going to 
They're not going to mess with that. They're just going to leave us alone so we can do our thing. The second, quiet, has to do with harmony with inside the community. Right? We want peace from the outside. We want more harmony within. So they could lead a, a godly and, dignif- and, and have lives that are godly and dignified. Godly comes from the Greek word eusebia, which means um, piety. It means the ability to fulfill the obligations you have to God and to your, to your family and your people. Okay? In other words, what he's asking in, in praying for the kings is so that we can be left alone to do the things that we know we ought to do. Right? Westminster Confession of Faith, again, what does the Bible principally teach? What we're to believe about God and the duties required of him. Right? There are, there are duties. We have obligations to God. And when the government gets involved, it can mess that up, makes it difficult. Right? But it's not just the kings and the government, it's all sorts of things. My boss keeps putting me on the schedule to work on Sunday. Are you praying for him or her? Are you praying that your boss would give you the schedule that you keep asking for? Because their decisions are making it difficult for you to fulfill your obligations. You're stuck. I need to go to church because God requires it. I got to be with my people. I got to hear his word. I got to give him thanks and praise that he's, that's owed to him. And yet, if my boss keeps putting me on work on Sunday, how can I do that? Well, I can quit, but then how am I going to feed my family? It's very difficult. What's the most important thing? What's What's the number one thing? Yes, complain about it. Oh, I'm just kidding. Pray. Pray for the people in authority over you. Pray for them. Not just your need to get the schedule right, but pray for them, that God would change their heart. God would change their heart. The second part of it, so a godly and a dignified life, and the, this idea of dignity means has to do with um, honorable. In other words, here's, here is what the gospel has done for you, and then you are going to live out that gospel life, and by doing so, there's this dignity and honor that comes because your life is a reflection of, of what God has done in you and fulfilling those obligations. This, this, to be honest with you, is going to be the greatest way that we can communicate the gospel to our world. It, it is not going to be in apologetics, which I'm a big believer in apologetics, about being able to give a, a defense of your faith to me, I think that in this postmodern or post postmodern, I don't know what kind of this weird world we live in, when people see those who follow Jesus living in a community that expresses that same gospel, and it's evident, right? A culture that's gospel shaped, I think that is going to be the most attractive thing to people. And then when we share with them, 
what Christ has done for us, that, that's, they see the proof of it. This is what Paul is saying. What's the most important thing? Pray. Pray for who? All people, including those in authority, so that we can live the life that God wants us to live. It, it, it's not, there's no guarantee that it's going to be easy, by the way. And we have a, a couple thousand years of, of history, even to this day, of Christians being killed for their faith. Killed because they are going to obey God and not man. So it, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, live it out only if you can. It's, it's our obligation, but pray for those who are in authority over us that we can do this in peace. In peace. So we pray for every, all people. We pray for kings and those in authority. And then we have this. This is good that we do. He goes on in verse 3. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and apostle, and I am telling you the truth and not lying, a teacher to the Gentiles in faith and truth. Okay, what's going on here? The early church in its uh, very first, you know, several decades was primarily Jews who have accepted Jesus as their Messiah and then Gentiles, those who are outside of the Jewish uh, race. Um, Gentiles, basically, the, the, the Greek word is ethnos, which means nations or peoples. Um, when the Gentiles started becoming believers in Jesus Christ, there was all this confusion within the church, and a lot of scripture, a lot of the epistles and the book of Acts kind of describe some of the problems. Okay, so here comes the, the bacon-loving <coughs> uh, Gentile into the primarily Jewish church. What do you do? Do we tell the Gentile they can't eat bacon? You gotta follow the kosher laws? Here comes the... Here comes you know, the, the, the Jewish or the Gentile believer coming into the church. They're not circumcised. Do we have circumcision Sunday? Right, kind of similar to our, right? Do we, what, how do we, how to relate? There's this big council in Jerusalem and they, they talked about it and they said, listen, the, the Gentiles don't have to follow the law of Moses in these ceremonial things, the, the circumcision no longer applies to us, it's baptism, right? They, they don't need, they can eat, God has made this food clean, they don't have to eat. However, you know, before the law was given at Sinai, there were some laws given about food and to Noah. Let's go back to the Noahic. Don't eat meat that's been strangled, don't drink the blood of it, can you just do that, right? You can have the, you can have the bacon, just not the blood, you know? And, and, that, and that, was, that was one of those things. But there's always been this tension between the Jewish people and the non-Jewish people within the church. 
all sorts of things. Think of even Stephen. The, first, the whole reason there was something called deacons in the church is the Hebraic uh, widows were getting, uh, getting the service they needed, the need, the, their cares taken care of, but the, the, the Greek-speaking uh, Jews were not even, right? So they're both ethnically Jewish, but even the, there was a divide between Hebrew and, and Greek, and they, they brought the deacons together, and they kind of sorted out the problem. It's human nature. It's human nature to like and love the people who are like us. Right? When people are radically different from us, culturally, language, customs, it's, it's difficult. This is a problem in the church in that um, we, can conf- we can form a community rather easily within a, a monoculture. But what happens when your church is uh, multicultural? There always is going to be difficulties. Even amongst uh, white Midwesterners, there are multiple cultures. Uh, Pastor Dan, for instance, talks a lot about, you know, this high church, Jacob's Well, and maybe, you know, the difference between a low church and a high church. And I'm like, going, what are you kidding? We're in a low church. Like, this is... This is, you know, and, and we come from different backgrounds, different, he's a, he, he likes country music, I grew up on 80s, you know, alternative, right? There, so here's this, we, we have common things, but there's culturally, there's differences. And, and so what are you supposed to do? Well, I pray for Dan that we stops listening to country, no, I'm just kidding. We, we, we pray and we love each other. We pray and we love each other, right? The hard part that I can sometimes see within the church is we get so, we want to love one another and the people that we happen to find that we're really gonna love are the ones just like us. And so what happens, it's, it's kind of like we're loving ourselves. They, they, just, they just don't live in the same house, they wear different clothing. What Paul is saying is, is that it's, our love has to be radical. We, we're including all peoples, and, and we need to seek harmony and to live one another. And what's, <clears throat> what's the most important thing then? What's the most important thing? Prayer. Prayer. So it's, I, it's, I can't do this in my flesh. I can't do this in my flesh. I'm, I'm supposed to even love my enemies, not, not just people who I like who are different from me. That's a tall order. I can't do it, neither can you. We're all sinners. You get two different people who are not alike and there's going to be problems. That's, that's, that's just the way things are. But we're called to love one another. And that's really a supernatural thing. We must pray. We must pray. So when Paul says, I was appointed a preacher and apostle, I'm telling you the truth, not lying to the Gentiles, his majority Jewish congregation is like, wait a minute, let me get this straight. You are supposed to be talking about our Messiah to these people? 
No wonder he had such a hard time in the churches. No wonder he had to defend himself time and time again in the epistles. Because he is preaching the gospel to non-Jews. To people like my ancestors. Right? Here's, here's one of the, the fun things. Isaiah 49.6. In talking about the Messiah... God speaks to the prophet Isaiah and says this, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. Okay, now think about it. At the time of, by the time Jesus is on the earth, you have two tribes still kind of around and then 10 tribes that have been scattered. And the hope is, is that the Messiah is gonna come and, and restore Israel. There would be one kingdom and one king that are going to restore. They're, they're all going to come back. But God says, that's too little of a thing. That's too little. Just to bring back the lost tribe, just to bring all the, the, the Israel back together, that's too, too light. I will make you a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. The Jewish Messiah was to come not just to bring uh, the, the lost tribe, the scattered people of, of, uh, of Israel back, but that his kingdom, his salvation will go to everybody. To everybody. Jews and Gentiles. And why? What is the basis? What, what is the reason then um, why we should be concerned about this multicultural uh, church, why, why is it? Well, he says, there's, one, there's only one God, and there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's Christ Jesus. Only one. And he gave himself as a ransom for all. A ransom. Anyone know what, we don't use that word that often unless it's a really good movie. Um, Basically, ransom is the, the payment to buy back something. Um, and so if you were kidnapped, um, the kidnapper might say, I'll give, I'll, give the, you know, I'll give your kid back if you give me a million dollars. That million dollars is a ransom. Here's the problem with sin. Wages of sin is death, right? The, the promise, like if you sin, you're going to die. You're going to be separated from God eternally. And, and there's a, what's, well, we're, we're, uh, we're trapped in this. We're stuck as slaves of sin and destined for hell. Well, what, what kind of payment can we make? What kind of payment can we make to be redeemed, to be out of that, to be ransomed from that? There is no. Listen to this one. Psalm 49, I, this is, one of my favorite things that came about in studying this. The word he used in ransom is unique to 1 Timothy. That verse right there, it's the only time it's used in the New Testament. It's that form of the word ransom. But if you take the Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint, where all the Jews in uh, Ephesus would have been reading because they don't know how to speak Hebrew or read Hebrew, they would only know Greek. The Septuagint 
it's, it's found two times in one passage in Psalm 49. And Psalm 49, to this day even, is a psalm that was read during every, um, any time you were sitting Shiva. In other words, if you had a loved one who passed away, Psalm 49 was read after morning and evening prayers. In other words, if I went to a wedding, do you expect to hear a particular passage of scripture? Almost all of us expect that we're going to hear 1 Corinthians 13, right? The love passage. Um, if you go to a funeral, you're all, you all kind of expect you're probably going to hear Amazing Grace, the song, right? For the, for the Jews, they would expect in, during a time of mourning that they would hear Psalm 49. Listen to this. Hear this. Listen to who it's addressed by, a psalm that all the Jews would hear and associate every time there is some sort of death that they would have to mourn. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches? Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. Coincidence? that Paul uses this unique word ransom that's only found here and that it's addressed to who? All people. All people. If, if I were a Jewish listener in uh, the church that Timothy is overseeing and you heard him say who gave himself as a ransom, that word would have stuck out. That word would have stuck out. It would draw me back to the psalm that we hear at, when we went to Aunt you know, Marge's funeral and to Uncle uh, you know, Al's funeral and to whoever's funeral. It's addressed to all people. And no man can ransom themselves. There's, it's, the price is too great. There's only one. There's only one who can ransom all people. And that was Jesus who gave himself as that ransom for us. If God's plan and purpose is to save all peoples, all kinds of people, all the nations, if that's his plan and purpose, and he sent his son to do that, to be a ransom for all people, all places, should we not, should we not as the church be praying for all people? This is the heart of God. This is the plan and purpose of God, and you have been called into his plan and purpose. And so what's the most important thing? What's the most important thing? Prayer. To pray for all people. We share the same ransomer. We share the same God. We have the same hope for salvation. And we should pray for them. All types of prayers for all peoples. We pray 
for the kings and those in authority that can enable us to do the things that God wants us to do, which is hopefully be part of God's plan and purpose in bringing salvation to all people. So where should we do this? Um, Verse 8. I just messed up my notes, sorry. Verse 8. I desire then that in every place, that's all places, men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Okay, I'm only going to briefly talk about this one part to it because <coughs> Dan gets to preach about it next week. Um, what it's talking about all um, in the, the previous verses where it talks about um, one mediator between God and man, men and that type of thing, it's talking uh, generically, like humans, men and women. This particular says, I desire that in every place males men should pray lifting holy hands without quarreling in anger. And, and probably this is a reflection of the church service in which men had a, uh, a role in which they prayed, okay? Um, this is not saying that you know, women don't pray or don't give supplications, all that stuff. The other part to it is, is that it's addressing an issue with men. He's also gonna address issue, some issues that women had in, in ch- later on in chapter two which Dan gets to preach about next week. Yay. You should pray for, what would be important for Dan? Pray for Dan. Pray. I'm just kidding. The, but the, um, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. But, but the, um, it says in all places there should be prayer, the lifting up of holy hands without anger or quarreling. Now, let me just talk a little bit about lifting of hands because that's not the most important part. There's very little t- written about why hand positions are done. As far as I know, that early on, there were kind of two ways that people use their hands. One is the orans, which is like this, and you see that in a lot of frescoes. And this was the position of prayer when you are praying on behalf of other people. So to this day, if you were to go to a Roman Catholic church or a, a Lutheran church or anyone that has like more of a, where they're wearing a robe, basically, often when they're praying prayers on behalf of the people, their hands are going to be like this, okay? The other is folded hands or like this, like this, or like this, right? Something to that effect. And the, and the idea behind that is that this has the idea of submission, Right? I, I read one where that they, they think that it got popular, especially in the Roman times, because if you were, um, if you were a soldier and you, were, um, and you guys were losing, uh, they would, often the enemy would come and just kill you. But if you held your hands together, it's a sign of submission, then it can bind your hands. Right? So I was told that in, uh, in uh, some ordination ceremonies, when they take some of their ordinary ordination vows, uh, the, the men would actually hold their hands like this and they would, they would have something that would bind them as they, as they vowed obedience to the church. Kind of cool. So um, I was taught that I folded my hands so that I wouldn't get in trouble when, my, when I was praying, like because I would be hitting my brother or something, right? Um, 
But, but the idea is, is that this was a position of praying on behalf of other people, and then the people in the congregation with their hands folded were basically saying, in a silent gesture, saying amen to that. Like I'm submitting to this, these prayers being prayed on my behalf. All right? Now, th- that's kind of my understanding. I might be wrong. I, I, does that make sense? There's not a ton written about this, but that seems to make a lot of sense. But what the big issue is, is this, that you're praying, that men are praying without anger or quarreling. In other words, with holy hands, that's the issue. If there's not peace between you, if there's just anger and fighting amongst us, how are our prayers going to be received? Right? Other places, God says that prayers get hindered for that. Like myself, as a husband, my prayers can be hindered if I'm not treating my wife right. That's what Scripture tells me. So if, if there's quarreling and fighting amongst us, and we're supposed to pray on behalf of all people, it's, that's not pleasing to the Lord. That's not going to help our prayers. So the idea is this. That when we, the number one thing is praying and praying for all people, for all types of people at all places, but we need to do it in unity. And we already know what that requires. It requires us to love one another, to confess to one another, to forgive one another, you know. Christianity. So, be a Christian. Forgive so that we can do the important thing. What is the main thing again? Prayer. What's the important thing? First of all, make these prayers for all people. God continues to have that desire. He sent a guy named Ansgar to, so that my Swedish relatives' descendants could become Christian. He sent Boniface to Germany, right, so that my German relatives could, could know the Lord. God had in mind that there should be some church in Green Bay that could preach the gospel. He sent Dan, Dan and Tricia Jackson here. God desires that Spanish speakers in Green Bay should hear the gospel and come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ and be our brothers and sisters. He's brought Jonathan and Linda here. He still works that way. And we need to be on board praying for all people. We used to, for a time before COVID, uh, have opportunity, we'd have elders kind of come up, or officers and their spouses kind of hang out up front. And then it kind of went away. And we're preaching this sermon, and it's on prayers, and first of all, and supplications, etc. And the staff thought, we should bring that back. And I thought this, we thought this would be a great time to do it. So I'm, I'm going to say this. There's some other officers and spouses which kind of be up here in the front. And if, and if you have specific needs... You know, some supplication being needed for you or intercessory prayer needed for you or just prayer in general for you. Um, 
come up and find one of us, and we'd love to pray for you. And we're going to make that not just a one thing, but that will continue to be our practice if you ever need prayer. I also want to just encourage one last thing. If If you're not in a small group, if you're not in a community group where you have people who can pray for you on a regular basis... Um, or have other people that you can pray for the world with. Um, you know, go, go find one and join one. All right, let me close. Father, we give you thanks. We praise you for your mercies to us, that you brought us sinners uh, to yourself. And God, that you've given us the task, Lord, to, to help in, in your plan of saving the world. God, we recognize our need for you and to our recognition of needing prayer. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be prayers. Help us to understand the main thing, and that this becomes a regular part of our life as a church, Lord, and as families, as individuals. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.